some of my strengths and weaknesses. I mean, if you can't talk about your weaknesses at 38 years old, you know, what are what are you doing? I am here with Ed Marlowe. He is and he gave me the longest intro possible. So I'm going to condense this. He is a radio reporter with WKDZ in Western Kentucky in sports and what else? Oh, God, whatever else they can totally do for me or I can do so for you, them. or I mean, it just doesn't matter. I mean, if they if I if I feel like I want to report on it, I can report on it. Uh, and in the meantime, I try to catch up with Western Kentucky sports when I've got a modicum of time, which is usually none. But it just just Google my name and you'll see news stories from all over Western Kentucky. So, so when you say report on anything, has there just been anything that you've thrown out there? And like, Ed, really, we're we're not we're not we're not doing this. There have been like events that I want to go cover that they're just like, nah, I don't know if that really like fits our purview or if that really fits like our window. Uh, there was a bridge. This is just right off the top of my head that just recently happened. The Smithland Bridge in Livingston County uh, mm. got detonated and the new one got put up. And I wanted to go cover the detonation of the bridge which is just outside of, like, our coverage area. And I was like, we should go watch a bridge being blown up. And they were like, mm, we've got other things to do today. And I was like, but we really should go see a bridge being blown up. And they were like, mm, blown up. You, you need to find something else to do. So that, that was fine. And we, you know, <laughs> we definitely had on our radio newscast that day, hey, there was a bridge that was, you know, demolished and a new one put up. And, you know, a new one's being put up, but. No, it's never anything like major. I don't throw anything too terribly outlandish out into the to the ether of things to cover. But as a journalist, you've got to be open to the possibility that somebody's interested somewhere. And uh, we cover four counties. You know, we covered, you know, kind of some of your territory, you know, some of your homegrown uh, area. You know, you're, you being from Crittenden County, we covered, um, you'll probably know about this, we covered a lot of the water shortage uh, 18 months ago oh, yeah. that kind of developed around Marion and, and Lake George. So we covered some of that, just some of the breaking news elements of that. And I went to go see it in person and I was like, wow, the lake's gone. That literally happened. Like at first, when you hear about it, you're like, yeah, water shortage. What is the water down a foot? And then you go to Lake George and you're like, oh, there's, there's no water in Lake George. It's, it's, it's just George. And so there's no lake. And so little things like that, certainly that take on a regional interest, you know, we definitely pick up, but Trig, Christian, Caldwell, Lyon, Todd County, anything around Clarksville, you know, some of your old stomping grounds, that's definitely what we're in charge of. Boom. Wow. So there you go. Yeah. I was going to make mean, a joke, but then I was like, eh, like having no water sucks. So. Oh, oh no, 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 no. It was, well, I mean, I mean, there was certainly was some comedy behind it. it. I mean, really there, there was, because it was more of a reservoir situation. So there was. I mean, you go out there. One of the most interesting things that I found about it, the number of cell phones that were located all along the beach and stuff where people had dropped their cell phones in the water. You Like I saw three or four just in a like a 10-minute walk of where people were. You know somebody back home was like, damn it, I dropped my phone in Lake George again. <laughs> and there they were, just useless devices. But I was like, this is kind of, you know, it's like draining the bathtub, man. There's the toys. Yeah. So it kind of it was kind of it was kind of an interesting thing. They drained it, found your dad. <laughs> My dad was there. Just hanging out. Hey, glad you could find me. I was like, I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna sprinkle one of those in there. And I was like, that was no, man. that was a layup. That was a layup yeah, right there. That's a that's a dunk, man. That's yeah. the best that's the best dunk you could get. All right. So then uh kind of going back now that we've kind of introduced like what you're like what you do creatively. Were you always interested in writing as a kid or was it something that developed as you got older or how did like you kind of find yourself into this, into this position? Man, that's a great question. Um, I think I spent, I think I spent most of my childhood writing unrequited love letters. Oh, I nice. Think, I mean, I think, I think I did as my cat walks into my office, I wrote a ton of love letters that just didn't get returned. You know, I mean, it's just part of it growing up. Like, oh, I think you're beautiful. Or, you know, like some silly rhyme, roses are red, violets are blue. Go out with me. I love you too. Like type of situations. Like, you know, like check yes or no if you think I'm cool. 
you Just know, no. I mean, so that that certainly happened a lot growing up. But I actually started journaling a decent amount when I was a kid, uh, probably around middle school age. And it would always be random things like anything that I found of interest. You know, what's going on in a school? How did my day go? Then when that developed going into high school and early college, I mean, I mean, we, we lived in the MySpace era, but I didn't even have I didn't even have MySpace. I had a live journal, which now that I go back and I even look at live journal, bringing that up, first of all, is just nostalgic as hell. But second of all, when I go back and I read some of my old posts, I'm like, oh, that's cringy as hell, too. Jesus, like like I was like in an emo stage from like age 17 to 29. I'll see like my old Facebook posts and I'm like, God, yes, why didn't somebody yes. smack me? Yes, but I go back and I look at some of my old Facebook posts even and I see like where I wrote poetry or I wrote a short story or I wrote, you know, maybe I wrote a short one act play, nothing of any substance or value, but just something that was like, oh, this would be really fun if I had five minutes and two actors. That's where a lot of that started to develop. And then I just realized in my 45 years of college that at some point journalism needed to be the way that I, I needed to go because I wanted to be able to talk about multiple subjects at all times mm-hmm. and have, you know, free reign. One day I might be discussing, you know, agriculture. The next day it might be criminal justice. The next day it might be civics or government. And the next day it might be sports. And because of that borderline attention deficit disorder, uh, I think there were just multiple subjects that I was interested in and I always knew I was interested in. And the only way I was going to get access to them at all times was through journalism and through, through that creative process of, okay, I'm covering a city council meeting. Okay. Now I'm covering a government meeting. Now I'm covering a a basketball game tonight uh, between two rivals in Western Kentucky. And to get that mix, journalism was the only way that could provide that. Okay. Because like, because to preface this to anybody that's listening that doesn't know, like I met Ed when I was at Murray because he was involved in the theater program, but you weren't part of the theater. You were just kind of hanging out. So that is fair. Yeah. So, but here's what's crazy. I changed my major like four times. I, I started as an education major. I wanted to go into teaching. That's right. And I, I did three years of that, actually. I, I got all the way up to practicum and actually did my practicum in Northwest Tennessee. I had to, and met some great, great students actually that are now, here's how I feel old. They, they're now in their early thirties with children. Uh, but I met several people in Paris, Tennessee with an AP U.S. history class. So I got to that to my junior year. And then uh, I changed my major from mathematics to history. And then I changed my major from history to theater for about 18 months. And then when I finally went back to school in 2010, so I took a break between 2000 and 2008 and 2010. And when I went back to school in 2010, that's when I changed my degree to print journalism. And, you know, that's print journalism is just really thriving these days. And so oh, yeah, it's great. I'm just a absolute bastion of assholery, but it's, uh, <laughs> it is, I, mean, I don't mind saying it at all. I mean, it, it got me in trouble before, but I mean, it's the truth. It's, you know, newspapers are dying and it's not the public's fault, but that's a, another podcast for another time. Oh, and uh, yeah, just jumped right into, to, to print journalism at that point okay. in uh, 2010 and then graduated with a degree in 2012 and with like freaking 180 credit hours of just everything from fencing and scuba diving to differential equations. And so, you know, it is what it is, but it's where I'm at today. And, you know, I, I don't, I mean, the path, it happened for a reason. I'm here for, for that reason. Well, yeah, because that's that's one of the main things that I keep running into with all these interviews is just that a lot of times, like you, you think you know where you're going to go, the path, and you you have it plotted out, but then life kind of takes a left turn. But then you kind of find yourself at once you get down that path, down that road, you're like, you know what, this is where I'm supposed to be. I never envisioned it, but somehow it all kind of works out. Well, not only that, I, I think you just have to be malleable. Like you uh-huh. have to, I, I mean, it's such a cliche way to put it, man. But like, you have to be able uh, to roll with the punches 
even if you're the one with the self-inflicted wounds, if that right. makes any sense. I mean, there are a couple of times in, in my life that were just into absolutely self-inflicted wounds. Quitting, quitting school in 2008 was a self-inflicted wound. If I had just finished my degree at that point, I would have been a teacher. You know, I was right on the doorstep of becoming an educator, but I was right on the doorstep of becoming an educator at 22 years old. Mm -hmm. And that just terrified me. I don't think I was ready to, because I wanted to teach high school, you know, AP mm -hmm. US history or, or calculus or pre-calculus or geometry or something, something along those lines. And I just, in that moment, I mean, I still act like a toddler now, you know, at times. And, and I was just at 22 years old, I was like, I'm not ready to educate when I don't have any practical real life value you know, to a classroom of kids that are going to be between the ages of 14 and 18. Mm -hmm. You know, not only are they going to not take me seriously, but I'm not taking myself seriously. And okay. even today at 38, I don't know how much I take myself seriously. I try harder at it. I try a hell of a lot harder at it than I did at 22. Um, but in that moment, I just had a panic attack almost. Like, I was like, well, this is not going to work. I don't, I'm not ready to graduate from college. And not that I went the Van Wilder approach and just started going crazy for, you know, three more years, but theater made sense. You know, I could act out a role. I could be a role player. You and I had several scenes together in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. I wanted to be a role player in theater. I wasn't interested in being a main character. I wanted to be the foil. I wanted to be, yeah. I wanted to be the the guy that takes everybody's mind off of the serious situation. And in fact, in Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, among the many things that I got to do with the Murray State Theater Department, I always played a role that was like, that guy's an idiot. That guy's a goofball. That guy doesn't take anything seriously. And it fit. Uh, but mm. then I realized that I wasn't going to be able to have a career in that either. And, uh, you know, and then that's when I quit school altogether before recollecting and going back to, uh, to journalism. Thanks for reminding me about Cat Hot to Roof. I'm trying to like suppress those memories. I of... mean, we had some fun with that show, though. I mean, we I know had it was hard. fun, but just to get fill in the gaps here for people, that was a show that we did. If you're not aware, Tennessee Williams, we uh, we uh, we actually went out and hired a professional actor to play the big daddy role, who was yeah, uh, and so this guy comes in and then. He didn't know his lines. He was the most like unprofessional person in that regard of just like not knowing lines. And then as I'm on stage, when there's this like dialogue between him and I, I would have to know his lines and not only my lines, because he would skip about three fourths of a page of dialogue, come back. And then I would have to like figure it all out. And it was just, I was like, this guy's a professional and I'm more professional uh, than college. I, it's fair to say that, but I will say too, just to be, I guess maybe judicious about it. My cat is going to weave in and out of this conversation, by the way, because oh, he's fun. just got to be, he's got to be in the middle of everything. But I, I will say too, you know, to Lissa's credit, you know, Lissa Graham Schneider, she was, you know, we put that show on very quickly too. But there was such a tight window for production. I understand the professionalism of it. I totally agree with you there that, you know, there has to be a pedigree that, kind of comes before you um but it, well, it is it also like, like this is how we're going to bring in a professional actor he's going to teach us how to be professionals that's true you know which I, to be fair to him that put him in a tight spot because i mean i mean i mean the cast was pretty good really but the thing is it's like we all knew our lines and we're taking <laughs> classes and doing sh and like homework and writing like papers this dude was just hanging out all That's day, fair. like, what are you doing all day? <laughs> That's totally fair. I, I mean, that's a I good. I appreciate point. you, like, like trying to take up, but I'm also like, come on, Ed. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally yeah. fair. But Cause, anyway. especially because you're right, we were balancing a pretty decent workload at that point. You know, all of us were students, part-time workers, doing stuff yeah. off campus, and he was just living in the area. That's kind of no, a good point. Like that's that's a kick. This that's a fair point. Yeah, kicked his feet up. I think they put him up in a hotel. Granted, there's a lot nicer hotels now in Murray than there, there were are, when, actually. when when uh, we were there. But it was like, dude, 
Um, my wife is the director of tourism here in Murray. She would be happy to hear you say that. There, there I, is a, 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 there is a large change in the quality of hotels just in the last 15 years. So. Well, there's a lot that's just changed because I was down there like a few years ago. Um, and I was just like, wow, like all of this, this is like insane how different it is. It, it's grown, man. Yeah. Come on down here again sometime. Yeah. It's, uh, Thanks. it's, I mean, it's no Chicago, but it is, it is wow. certainly, you know, I mean, it certainly has grown. Yeah, uh, I will, I, I, I can totally attest to that. So yeah, I need to get down there, but all right, moving on. So I'm going to ask you some zingers. So if you thought the first question was a little bit like tough i'm gonna i want to i want to ask some tougher ones so how do you find creativity and what role does it play in your life how do i find creativity define oh wow that's a great that's a great question matthew collins Thank um you. edward marlowe i i'll be honest so the, journalism is a little different in the sense that you have to have a sense of style yeah. So you have to you have to maintain the who, what, where, why, when. You can't really lose sight of that. I think for me, though, creativity comes with the way in which I present a meeting or someone's life story or breaking news or any yeah. facet of journalism that you might see in any really in any any medium. You know, I've written for radio, I've written for print. My print skills typically bleed into my radio skills. So uh -huh. If you think that I'm verbose and not as timely as many people think that I am, that hasn't changed, you know, and, and it's been a difficult switch for me from print to, to radio. Um, I think the creativity, though, comes in the total creation of the package. When I go to a meeting, I am trying to find not only the most important aspect of what's happening in that meeting, but I want to present it in a way that's organic, uh -huh. that is people-related. And I think that's where my creativity comes into play. Instead of saying something along the lines of, you know, this just literally happened. City of Cadiz is going to, you know, yeah, push its, you know, push its water rates up. Instead of saying city council voted unanimously to push water rates up, I lead by saying, you know, Cadiz re residents need to be prepared to pay you know, heftier water bills later this year. That's a better way to lead into that story than just saying Cato City Council voted unanimously to raise water rates. That's such a simple, small example, but I want to be able to present journalism in any story for that matter in a just much more, I don't want to call it artistic, just, I, I'm, I'll say it again, organic, something that actually uh -huh. impacts people. And that's where I bring the creativity when it comes to journalism. Because again, the rigidity of journalism is very real. The Associated Press has a style. Radio has a style. Newspapers and television have a specific style. But if you can't open a story with what I would call a, a good lead, L-E-D-E, -E, which is a technical term in journalism, a good way to, a good hook, is, which is what you would use in, in theater and, and writing, if you can't hook somebody into your story, then they're just going to go read it somewhere else. They can go uh -huh. get that information anywhere else. They can't read the way that I write anywhere else, uh, at least in my thought process. I don't even mean that from an arrogant standpoint. I mean that from a sincere standpoint. Like if I put eyes on the prize and I'm covering something in person, I'm looking for things like the way people shift in their seat, you know, the way their eyes are twitching when they're looking at each other. Somebody breathes heavily. Someone cries. Someone laughs. Those are the types of things that I can bring to a news story. That's where I get to be creative, is describing the human element that involves in our everyday life. What was the second part of that question? Um, what role does it play in your life? Uh, the role that it plays in my life? I, I, I'll add to that by saying that I, I have to, I mean, I'm not driven by clicks. Uh, thankfully, I don't have to worry about like a click counter saying, oh, a thousand people read your story. You know, thank God they looked at this advertisement a million times. Mm. I'm not necessarily as pushed into that, whereas in certain journalistic circles, that is a that is the case. You know, if you're not getting a certain amount of clicks, if you're not getting a certain amount of traction, if you're not getting a certain amount of, you know, push, then, you know, you're in trouble. Like, I thankfully don't have to worry about that. But I think the way that it does play a role is I still need people coming to the website getting mm. the news of the day. I still need people reading about K 
Arcata is Hopkinsville, you know, Todd County, Clarksville, Princeton, so on and so forth. We still need people being informed. So that's where it plays its role. I have to be able to tell a story quickly and cogently, um, but also creatively so that people, when they read it, they realize they've learned something. That's mm -hmm. where it plays the role. If somebody learns something when they read one of my stories, then I've done my job. Okay. Yeah, so so I guess that's like the balance that you try to find is telling the story, but also putting your spin on it in a way. Sure. Like, 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 like my journalistic integrity yeah. comes into play at that point. I need to be able to tell the truth, but if I'm not able to give somebody like my introspection on it, not being editorial, there's a place for that. There's a place for editorial, but I need to be able to give people a look. I want to take people into a certain situation. I'm in the courtroom a lot. I want to take people into a tense and palpable moment which is why I'll talk about emotions and feelings. I'll even use audio from somebody that's crying or upset or frustrated. And that's where radio is different than newspaper. Whereas newspaper, I can print a quote and it can be an impactful quote. I need impactful audio for radio, powerful audio that brings emotional like reflection from somebody. Uh, and I'm not always going to get that with water rates. And there's plenty of things that I write that are just, we, this is a news element, we need to move on. But there are a lot of things that I get to write. Like last year, and she just unfortunately passed away, a lady by the name of uh, Huel Edwards turned 100. Oh, wow. And it was a huge deal. And she was in a nursing home in local Cadiz, and I sat down with her for two and a half hours. And she recollected to me as best as she could how much Hopkinsville and Cadiz had changed in her 100 years of life. And so to get her voice on the radio changed the way people felt about that story. I could have written a newspaper article, but her voice on the radio at 100 and the fact that she was able to just accurately talk to me about how she'd gone from horse and wagon to elementary school to, you know, riding in an ambulance to the nursing home. Like, just, she was able to convey in that comment a 100 years of history in America and, and in Western Kentucky. Her voice meant everything for my radio story. Even if she just said something like, I'm just so glad to be 100. Like, that's more impactful and creative than me writing in a story, she just turned 100. So wow. that kind of maybe can give you a little bit more like of a, of a feel of what I'm trying to go for when I go into the journalistic mode that I have to enter every day. Yeah, so... So is there's like sometimes like within that it's like where you're just like kind of going back and forth with a story and not been able to crack it in like you're in the sense of being able to figure out like tone and how you want to like tell the story like how do you work through challenges right or just like things are just not kind of lining up for you Oh man I sometimes when it's deadline driven I just have to roll with it Yeah I mean really I mean and, re and really that's 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 everyday life that's such a Again, another cliche thing to say. You just roll with it. Well, it's okay. But you just live, you live to fight another day, one. But number two, I will, and I, I'm serious, I will go back and I will reread every story that I've written. Even the short stuff, press releases that I get to recap, obituaries that I have to clean up, all those types of things. I will, this is my number one, this is my number one thing that I would tell anybody. Go back and review what you do every time. I know it sounds mundane, it sounds tedious, it sounds frustrating. The the harshest cricket critic cricket one is Jiminy Cricket, but the harshest <laughs> critic the Why harshest critic in your life <laughs> upon a star <laughs> makes no difference who you are. Your harshest critic is always gonna be yourself. And if it's mm -hmm. not, you're probably not in the right field. Your harshest cricket Jesus, I said it again. Your harshest cricket is Jiminy Cricket. Your harshest critic that's like red leather yellow red leather. leather can't even do it red leather, red leather yellow. Like yellow leather that's it red leather yellow leather. yellow leather and that's the other thing too i'll just say this super quickly the radio I, matt collins i have never in my life been so tired of talking i never thought i would come to see the day that i'm just like i just can't talk anymore i'm exhausted i have found that i have i'll come home and my wife's like you got anything to talk about and i'm like Hell no. I don't want to say another damn word. And I think people have been wishing for that day 
for about 25 years since, or really longer since I could learn how to talk. And then but, here I am bringing you on a podcast to talk more. Do you have we're six hours? <laughs> this is so, going to be a three part, two hour special each time. So go back. Your harshest critic yes. is yourself. Yeah. And it needs to be. I, I think uh-huh. if you are able to be your own harshest critic, that is going to take you to that moment where you can break through. Okay, I'm in a moment. I'm going to get through this. I don't know what I'm doing or how to do it or what's best fit. If you have been uh, very critical of yourself in previous opportunities, you'll find a breakthrough moment whenever you have a, a really difficult time. Uh, and that's the way you, you just you just have to roll it at that point. Because that's an interesting point. Because where I think like there has to be a balance with that. Because if you're too harsh on yourself a lot of times, uh, for some people, um, it can create like little crutches that keep you in place because then you're just like, well, this is not going to be any good. So how do you balance that? Because that's where like I've, like when I've talked to people, it's just like, well, uh, like that, I call it the gremlin. It's in the back of your head. That's always like kind of just being like, no one's going to read this. No one's going to like this. No one's going to watch you. Why are you even doing this stuff? And so you got to have to battle that. And so what I don't want, that's why I want to kind of discuss more of is because sometimes you, if you're too harsh on yourself, you kind of create that self-inflicted wound and keep you, that keeps you locked in place. So like, frozen like like a mental paralysis is kind of what mental you're paralysis at. where you're just like because like innate, innately like and i've discussed this before like we as humans like we want to go with what's safe what's known because that's what we've done for however long humans have been along and so when it comes to like creativity a lot of times like especially if you're a harsh critic like i think there is like a fine balance with that where it's be critical enough to where it's like motivating you and not paralyzing you. Because if you, if it becomes like paralysis, you're less apt to try to get yourself out of that same spot. And that creates like a victim mentality type thing where it's just like, what was me type thing? I think where you're describing it is wanting to use it as a way of motivating yourself to be better. Sure. Yeah. So, so that's a really, really good point. And I'll, let me let me see if I can be succinct here. I'll do my best. It's not exactly my forte. Well, um, neither is it for me. Well, I think okay. So I think we all need words of affirmation. Not to mm-hmm. not to talk languages here, but we all need we all need some sort of note that says, "Hey, man, that's working," or yeah. "Hey, man, that's not working." You know, I mean, that's that's every one of us needs some sort of a direction that says, okay, that's, this is the way to do it. I, this is going to sound kind of selfish, but sometimes I just do what I want to do anyways, if that makes any sense. Like, like, like there'll be times where I'm told, Hey, your story is like really long. You know, you really need to cut it. And so what I'll do is I'll cut it for radio and then I'll just put the whole damn thing online. And then that's, that, that satisfies the me. That satisfies my part where I put in this work, I put in this effort, I wrote what I wanted to write, I put it the way that I want to put it, and then it all goes into one lump sum somewhere. And then whatever anyone else involved with the project or the the story, whoever the anchor is, whoever the person reading it, you know, it goes on the radio, a shortened version I just don't even let that hurt my feelings anymore. Maybe the first couple of times it happened, I'm like, what do you mean you don't want to read a six and a half minute story in the NPR style? Why does that, why do you not want to do that? But then I just started to to realize it's not personal. And I think that's maybe, maybe that's where the best way to put the middle ground is. Don't make it personal. I know that sounds totally counterintuitive and and really counter-directive to maybe what the self-criticism comes from. But when someone comes to you with feedback or someone comes to you even with, with, let's not even call it constructive criticism. Let's just, let's call it what it is. Criticism. Then don't take it personally. Just it's, it's like, it's like when two people like, I like oatmeal cookies. Okay. But 
but I can make a chocolate chip cookie. The same, like it's no, you know, if that's what you want, I'm going to give you a chocolate chip cookie. The only time that criticism really shouldn't bother you is if, or, or really isn't going to impact your job performance is if you're self-employed. And even right. then you can run out of business clients pretty quickly if you're not willing to take some criticism. But if you work in an organization, you're just always going to have criticism. And if you go in understanding that, if you go in realizing that, then it's not so personal. You right. know, if somebody looks at me and says, hey, man, great story. Need you to lop that down from five minutes to four minutes. Don't get butthurt about it. Same with, same, same. I'm sure the same with you. If somebody looks at a monologue that you have, or if somebody looks at a, you know, a soliloquy or anything like that and says, hey, man, that was good, but here's a couple pointers. Don't even take it personally. Oh, I take it personally. Well, sure. Well, because you've been working hard at it, you know, because you've put, you've put the time and the craft of it. But then in the same respect, don't take it personally in the sense it's like, just try it. Yeah. You know, what, what is somebody going to tell me if I write a specific way? I didn't like that. Is that the worst thing they're going to say to me that they don't like that? Okay, I'll do it again. So I think that's where the whole letting it slide. Now, I mean, I say this and it's do as I say, don't, you know, not as I do. There are plenty of times that I've been, you know, frustrated in my career. Um, some more than others. But you just have to be able to look at it and say, okay, I'm going to take a look at this. I'll review it and and move on from that. And it, as long as you're able to just deflect sometimes and not get offended by, you know, that type of discussion, the art of conversation, then you, sh- you you'll be okay. Yeah, because that's that's a few things that we've like discussed that I've discussed on this is just reframing. It's not necessarily failure, but it's obstacles that are in your way. Like the first time you stumble or have somebody tell you lop a minute off this piece or something like that, it's easy to kind of just be like, well, why didn't they like it? And you go into like self-preservation mode and being like, well, I did this, didn't they see this type stuff? But it's like, if you... Mm-hmm if you take criticism in a, in a healthy way, like, yeah, it's not a personal attack on you. It's somebody just trying to make your work better. Right. Yeah, that's and, a great way to put it. And if we're continuously trying, if we're like, especially like with my field, if I'm always like taking things personally, like, like I would just be a shell of myself because especially my, my business, it's like, you're going to get told no a hundred times before you get told yes. I don't know how it is in journalism. Sure. But I'm sure, I'm sure it's like, there's a lot that goes into like being like, no, 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 no. And then, oh, no, I mean, I don't know if it's a hundred times, but it's, it's a lot. And I mean, and you hit the nail right on the head. I mean, you have to, (laughs) you were to just, if you were to just go into self-preservation mode, I mean, you wouldn't even just, you wouldn't even, you'd be a social snail. Number one. Mm -hmm which isn't healthy for, for anybody. But number two, you just, you're never even going to explore what you are as a person and what you can bring to the table. And that's the other thing too. Like, I think something that I have figured out just over time is some of my strengths and weaknesses. I mean, if you can't talk about your weaknesses at 38 years old, you know, what are, what are you doing? Time management is my worst enemy. Um, and I can say that at 38, I'm going to probably say it at 48. Hopefully it's a little better then. Crazy thing is, is my time management skills are better at 38 than they were at 28, which thank God that's a 10 year curve. But I, I mean, you know, it's taken me a lot longer to pick up on certain social cues and things like that. And I, I mean, you just, you just got to figure it out as you go. But those are the, you know, those are the, the roadblocks. If you can't figure out and talk about your own weaknesses anyway, that's something you have to explore. <laughs> in some other way. I mean, you, yeah, you yeah. gotta be talk about what your weaknesses are or you won't improve. Yeah. That's, that's a very good point because a lot of that's ego because a lot of us want to think that we know everything and mm-hmm. like, and like you project like, well, they don't know what the, what the fuck they're talking about. Like I, right. I know how to do. That. It's like, no, like sometimes you have to, you have to make sure to eat your humble pie because you don't know everything. There's always room to grow. There's always room to learn something. Like I had an issue with that for quite a while and then I had to just kind of take a step back and be like, okay, these people have been in this position for longer than I, like as far as like theater, they're running a theater. They know, especially like professionally in Chicago, they're successful. Like they know more about theater and like what takes to like do successfully than I do, like coming in with what I think I know. So if you get told like, 
like criticism or like how to like, change or do anything like that. It's like pick their brains, try to get like what you can from it, because then it's going to make you stronger and you're going to become better. And then, and then if you can bestow that wisdom onto somebody else, it's like, then you're just continuing the process, which I think is a lot better than just assuming you know everything. Well, and I mean, you, you, you brought me to another point that needs to be made. Just ask questions. Yeah. I think it's like, I know that sounds like such a vanilla step one, ask questions, but like, I think people forget that Uh I'm not, nobody's saying that you're just supposed to be best friends with everybody. I know that that's not a possibility. You know, we don't always all get along, but if you can't, if you can't professionally ask questions about the career you care about and that you're in, I don't care if it's you know, folding towels at Bed Bath & Beyond or, you know, or, or you know, sending a rocket to Mars to make sure we can colonize there when we blow our own planet up. I, if you can't, if you can't ask questions about the career you're in, I probably should rethink the career you're in. <laughs> find a, yeah. find a place that you are comfortable in asking those questions. You, I mean, I'm asking questions oh. every day. I'm going into this June. I, I lost my newspaper job on January 4th of 2021. I'd been in newspaper for 10 years at that point. And that was a difficult thing. Okay. Um, and I took a radio job six months later in my hometown of Cadiz. And I, I had to ask I had to ask questions right away. I mean, because I'd never worked in the radio realm. Three years later, this June, going into my fourth year, we'll be going into my fourth year. I'm still asking questions. You know, I'm asking questions about anchoring. I'm asking questions about programming. I'm asking questions about, you know, I've never even used Canva. You know, I'm asking people around me how to develop like a Canva presentation. I'm 38. Why have I not used Canva? Well, because guess what? We didn't have Canva in college. I didn't, I know what a PowerPoint is. I know what word art is. You know, I'm pretty sure I'll be able to figure out Canva. I was not a photographer. This Here's another point, just personally. I have asked a million questions about photography. I didn't have a lot of photography experience in college. I now have photography experience. And because of the questions I've been able to ask, it has led me to some very unique and special opportunities that I'm never going to forget. NCAA tournament games. Uh, I've been able to shoot photo galleries for, you know, last year's Kentucky Derby was the first time I'd ever been to a derby. Uh, I was asked to get some you know, some finish line photos at Millionaire's Row. If I didn't ask those questions 10 years ago about how to to do photography and how to be a better photographer, I'm not in those situations. So if you if you ask questions 10 years down the road, some of those questions are going to pay off, and you just have to remember that. Take, take that humble pie that you just mentioned, ask those questions, be willing to learn, and then put that learning into practice, and it's going to put you in a key position someday. Who knows? Maybe tomorrow maybe 10 years from now, maybe 20 years from now. Yeah. I think you have to always have like that, um, bit of being, uh, staying curious about your profession and what, what you're pursuing. Um, because yeah, because that's a wonderful example of just being able to just, you were open, you were like a sponge, you were asking questions just to get better. It wasn't embarrassing to you. It's because it came from, I want to be better. How can I be better? And like getting that feedback. And not only that, it also came from admitting that I don't know. Yeah. Now nobody, nobody's saying you want to say, I, I don't want to say I don't know 40 times because then mm. you just sound incompetent. Yeah. But I need to be able to look somebody in the eye, shake their hand and say, I don't know. And uh, it turns out you do. So if you'll just impart that with me, you don't have to give me all the company secrets, but just impart some of that knowledge into me so that I can put that into motion, put that into practice. Uh and then if it works for me, great. And if it doesn't work for me, you know, we'll find something else. We'll find a way to, to, to get it done, to get the job done. And the minute that you're not questioning the profession you're in, I'll say it again. The minute you're not asking those questions is the minute you're not interested. It's the, yeah. it's the minute you know in your heart of hearts, man, this just, this just isn't for me. This is not what I'm going to be doing with the rest of my life. And that's all part of the creative process. Create the creative process. I have a I have a sports podcast. I don't even get to I don't even get to cover sports much anymore. It's a it's more of a side gig, side hustle, maybe in a once in a blue moon thing, you know, for for my company where someone gives me a call. Hey, we need a photo gallery. Hey, we need somebody to cover this game. Hey, we need a feature. So, in some respects, 
And I'll say this just because we're talking about creativity. Sometimes that's where the biggest creativity comes. When your day-to-day work is the slog, you got to find another outlet that allows you to have that creativity. Uh I think that's a good counterbalance. If you've got a, you know, even from a theatrical standpoint, if you've got a role that you just have to do all the time and you're just like, this is not, this is not what I want to do. You know, this is the job. This is not the job I wanted. There's nothing wrong with having a side hustle or a hobby that allows you to bring that creativity to the table because it's a healthy counterbalance. Um, I'm always going to love sports. So it's just a situation where when I look at those opportunities, if they make extra money, that's great. But if they allow me to be just a little bit more creative than I've been able to be in a, in a recent stretch of time, it's a healthy counterbalance for me. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like a lot of times, like, especially with creative endeavors and stuff, I think if you're focusing strictly on money, which, you know, it is, it is the world and everything. It's important. It's important. Um, but if you're going into it, like, okay, how can I make money? It's like, I feel like you're already kind of setting yourself back um, a little bit because you're thinking about like the product and how it can be profitable. And you're kind of like catering your creative and like your process towards that rather than just like creating right. it, putting it out there and seeing what it happens. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, you don't want to, I don't ever want to sit here and say that you've just got to be the starving artist and money doesn't matter, but like, it does. It does matter. Unfortunately, I hate to say it that way, but I mean, it I mean, it just does. I mean, it's such a, again, another easy thing to say, but it's just true. Like you, you do have to be able to have a money making mechanism. Mm-hmm. I don't care what that is. It, I'm not, I'm not here to judge that. Whatever that needs to be, needs to be. Um, but then yeah. your counterbalance, if, if your money making mechanism isn't your creativity mechanism, find a creative mechanism that allows you to explore whatever headspace you're looking for. I agree. I agree. Because that's like, that is a stigma and I've talked about it before is just like that I'm trying to kind of alleviate with this pro with this podcast. I'm just feeling like a lot of times like people think they're failing because they have to take the nine to five or do like the, the survival job or what have you. But like that is so important. Like, I'm not taking away from people that think they need to struggle and do that's your own endeavor, that's your own process, that's your own journey. But like, sure. If you take that survival nine to five and you're able to put a, keep a roof over your head, put food on your table, you know, especially if you have a family or anything, that's so important. But then allow that to like funnel and like create something on the side and mm-hmm. just keep it going. Because if you yeah. Will, yeah, because like so many people are like, well, I have to take that survival job and I'm not succeeding. It's like, we're, if you, as long as you keep and persevere and keep going, you're succeeding than so many people. Then, yeah, I just went on a rant for a little bit, but. No, no I mean, I, I mean, I totally agree. I, I mean, like I said, it's it's one of those situations where, you know, I get to do little podunk sports things on the side when that used to be a full-time job and you know, there's, there's other facets in which I, in which I'm creative. I, I enjoy um, a monthly D and D group. My wife and I like to play board games there. You know, some of these things aren't like, uh, it's not like I'm creating more content, but as a content creator, if I just want to go to a random basketball game or a football game and shoot a photo gallery of, of kids and student athletes and people being successful and emotions and celebration, you know, and, and put that back out into the world as a photographer, I can do that. If I want, you know, I took this year Mayfield football, of course, made its run to another state championship. And I had the opportunity, you know, seeing as I understand Mayfield football and have covered it quite a bit, I was able to cover, you know, a couple of games, not only for the Lexington Herald leader as a photographer, but for the, you know, Lincoln KY, some friends of mine up in Northern Kentucky. And so when Beachwood came down to Mayfield, I, you know, got a phone call from a friend saying, Hey man, can you help us out? I'm like, absolutely. You know, how about I give you a preview of the game and cover the game? And so it just ended up being, and then I turned that preview into a feature about Mayfield's football, you know, history and Beachwood's football history and what the atmosphere is like at Mayfield football. Uh, and what it's like to go to a, a, a postseason game in Mayfield, which you being from Crittenden County, I'm sure you can understand. Mm-hmm. It's hell on wheels to go play football at Mayfield. Yeah. You know, it's a historic place. 
And so those are the types of things. Like I took all of those things into consideration. So my day job, my day job is a news reporter for Western Kentucky. But that evening, I was able to paint a picture and put people at that championship game. So at that at that semifinal game. So it's just those are the types of things I would recommend that to anybody, just as you have. Find find an outlet that allows you to continue to create in that pathway. My daytime job, I don't even want to I, I like it. It's still journalism. It's not the same as sports journalism, but it's still journalism. I'm still telling stories. You know, your nine to five may not even be that close to what you believe in. It might be waiting tables, which I've done. Yep. It might be a lot and cook, which I've done. It might be cleaning bathrooms, which I've done. You know, that's all fine and dandy. You know, what are you doing with your nighttime hours? What are you doing with your afternoon hours? Those are going to be the types of things that actually change your creativity. And you might actually become more creative because you're having to reserve your headspace for that free time. Yeah. You know, yeah. your nine to five might not be a creative outlet. You might be more creative if you're driven after those, you know, those working hours. Yeah. That's, that's well said. I can, I can improve upon that. It, kind of talking about something because you've kind of hit, hinted at it. So there was a point where, you know, cause you said like in 2019 that you lost the, uh, the close, 20, close. No, it was, it was, it was, it was 2021. It was right after, well, I say right after COVID COVID was still very much fully in force at that point. And, and not to push an agenda, but COVID still exists now. Okay. We're just, we know how to battle it better, but in January of 2021, it was still very much a thing. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, schools were trying to figure out. I was a high school and collegiate beat reporter for Murray State Athletics at that point for uh, Paxton Media Group and the Paducah Sun. And so at that point, you know, uh, there was a lot of change going on in journalism, and there still is in 2024. But in that moment, everybody was trying to recollect, like, how are we going to make money? What are we going to do post-COVID? Mm -hmm. How are we going to get out of this pandemic after, you know, net loss, net loss after net loss? And so, you know, I was, it's uh, a good way to put this. Uh, I was combative uh, with leadership behind closed doors about the lack of employees, the desire to expand, so on and so forth. And, and, and combative is a heavy word i wasn't hateful but i just had re very serious very real conversations about what's our newsroom going to look like post-covid we need employees we needed help we needed you know things that are important for our careers mm -hmm. and you know i was working really really horrible hours honestly with no help and lots of layoffs and and so anyway uh the reason i the only reason i remember the date is because it was when the high school basketball season had been truncated that year, coming out of COVID. They had uh, they had avoided the winter part of the season, which you understand in Western Kentucky still exists. They start playing basketball around December, and so they had shortened the season by about 10 games, eight games maybe, so that way they could get through Christmas, and then it's like, okay, we'll push through the spring, and you know maybe we'll get a vaccine, so on and so forth. So that's the only reason why I remember it is because the season was supposed to start that night. And I got a call from my boss that said, you know, either take a $6,000 pay cut or you're going to be fired. And I did not take that $6,000 pay cut. And so that was hard. That was a, that was a very difficult moment in my career and made me actually rethink whether or not I was even going to stay in journalism. And yeah, gotten, I yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, that's what I was going to get to was just like, because you, you, you reached this fork in the road. And so yeah, you were, you were about to, you were kind of alluding to it. So that's kind of like where I was going to steer you is like, how did that, how did that decision making process go for you? Cause, cause easily like losing that and like not taking a pay cut, like you could have definitely been like, okay, like, is this even right for me any longer? So like what right to that decision making process to keep going? Well, it's certainly, I mean, it certainly was a, a deep conversation. Um, I think first and foremost, uh, my wife was extremely integral in dealing with a lot of that. And we, I mean, we, I, I'll be totally honest about it. We had, we had some hard moments. I mean, there was a pride factor for myself, mm -hmm. you know, and I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, what's a, hmm. Maybe she can hear me talking about this right now. It was a very emotional time. Yeah. 
but I wanted to be, I mean, I, I want to be real about it. I mean, it was a very difficult time because I mean, you know, you look at our age group and you look at our demographic and we're getting to, into home ownership. We're getting into automobile ownership and thinking about retirement. And suddenly a lot of those things kind of went out of the picture. You know I mean? We, we had just bought a house. We had just explored, you know, a new vehicle and, you know, where's Ed's career going next? Where's my career going next? And so when I lost my job, it was like, wow, we just, you know, it was over, you know, in that moment. And it's like, well, I need to rethink, like, am I even going to be using my degree anymore? Does that even matter? Am I going to go work for, you know, there's a number of great industries in Western Kentucky that I could have worked for, but journalism is, is pretty much owned by one company uh, that's already been mentioned. And so, you know, there's some other opportunities, but it's like, well, how am I going to not only make the same pay that I was making, but also maintain a marriage and, and all of these different things. There's just, there was a lot of juggling. And at that point, unemployment was so difficult. I mean, just to, from a current events standpoint, you know, unemployment was in shambles in Kentucky uh-huh. at that point. And so it was just like, well, now I'm not getting my pay. How, you know, how am I going to get through all of this? And so uh, I am going to wholeheartedly say that there was a lot of grace uh, given my way, um, not only in my marriage, but also my family to just sort it out and figure it out. And I had kind of come to a point where I think I was going to, at that point, I was thinking in that moment, man, this is probably it for journalism, at least for now. You know, we're going to move on. We're going to do some different things. Maybe I'll go back to school. Maybe I'll be a substitute teacher for six months and try and land an emergency gig. Maybe I'll get a master's degree. Maybe I'll just be a bus driver. Lord knows the 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 country needs those right now. And you know, there were just different opportunities. I could have gone to work at a gas station. I could have worked at a, you know, I could have worked at a couple of restaurants, had opportunities. And, you know, I even was pretty close to applying and, and interviewing at Kroger, a fine establishment and one that's desperately needed to be filled all across the country post-COVID. So all of these different thoughts, all these different golf balls just jumping around in my mind. And again, I, I'll reiterate a lot of grace, you know, from my wife. Uh, and my family. And then, you know, an opportunity at my hometown radio station became available. And that led to a very, very long conversation with management there about, you know, what's the, what is the, what is the future of journalism in Western Kentucky look like? And did I still want to be a part of that? Uh, And not even just about me, just about, we need coverage. Can you provide coverage in specific aspects? And I was like, absolutely. Whatever, you know, you want me to cover city councils, that's absolutely fine. You want me to cover family features, you know, breaking news, hard news. You want me to cover court. I have now taken my sports skill set of offense and defense and covering offense and defense in covering criminality and criminal justice. Um, and I've learned so much just by asking questions of the Commonwealth's attorney and their office and defense lawyers and things like that. There's, there's that bringing those questions in. I didn't know how to cover law at that point. But I'm better at it now because I've asked those questions. So that's that's a very convoluted answer. But it was it was just it was a very it was very difficult. I'm glad that I stood my ground. I am. I'm definitely beyond thrilled. In the moment when I got fired, I was not very glad that I had stood my ground. I'll just that's hard when you just you just you stand your ground. You're like, well, okay, well you're fired. Uh, I probably should have had a better backup plan. There's my piece of advice out of that. Don't be ready to be fired until you've got another branch to grab onto. I, I will totally, even though I did the right thing and everybody's happier for it now, like it, in the moment when I was just like, no, I'm not taking a pay cut, probably should have had another job on the line. Yeah, Probably should have had some sort of a backup plan that's like, oh, I, I'm not going to take that money because I'm good to go with this job over here. In the moment, I just thought that I was infallible. In the moment, I thought, well, they won't fire me. I'm the only sports reporter in our department. Uh, turns out they fired me and they hired two other sports reporters who are no longer with the company. So it's just, you know, you, you, you have to be, you have to understand that you're replaceable. And I think once I learned that, you know, once I realized like everybody is replaceable, I mean, literally every single person who works for a company is replaceable, even a CEO, you know, if something God awful happens to a CEO, they still find another CEO. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And I don't mean to sound so negative or hollow about it, but once you realize that you're expendable, you'll start being yourself. Yeah. 
No, so that's, that's just why I kind of wanted to highlight before we kind of like winded, started to wind down was just that, yeah, that, sure. that, that, that low point and just how did you, how you navigated it and like figured it out because I know probably a lot of people are out there like low points and not really necessarily seeing like a light at the end of the tunnel and just trying to fig, find their way. And it's just like, you know, especially in your case, you have to, um, you have to just kind of believe in yourself. You know, you have like yes. standards and, you know, sometimes it'll be scary. Sometimes it's going to be difficult, but you know, if you have a vision and you have a belief in yourself, like sometimes you're going to have to navigate that. But when you come across and come into the other side of it, you're going to be a lot better and a lot more, a lot better off because of it. Well, and again, I want to be fair to the situation. My wife was an unbelievable anchor and, and frustratingly so. I mean, she was very... Right and rightfully so, frustrated with me at times about, you know, am I really going to stand this ground of journalism? You know, I mean, she was glad that I stood the ground on the job and about my value as a human being and my value as an employee. That was great. You know, I mean, that certainly is a was a strong selling point to this is the right thing to do. But at some point, there was a pride factor with me that was like, well, it's journalism or nothing. I'm just going to sit in a corner and sulk and cry and drink bourbon and play video games and never shower again. And, you know, there were a couple of days of that wallowing in self-misery. And then there were more days of that wallowing in self-misery. And, and you know, there probably was a couple of tough spirals where I was very lost and confused. I didn't, you know, I'd worked really hard to get to that moment and to get to that career. And, like, well, what do you mean one person can tell me that career is no longer for me? That's not, that's not fair. I wasn't taught that in college, but you know, I, I did land at a great job, but in the, in the, the loathing of all of that, I had to realize that there were other opportunities. And I yeah. think that's where, that's where I learned the most about myself. Um, if my wife called me right now and said, honey, I've got the greatest job opportunity in my life. We've got to go, you know, I, I'd have to say, all right, let's do it. You know, we're a team. If you're solo, you know, it's a little, you know, maybe even that self-loathing, I don't want to say it's easier. That's not right. But you're not necessarily as having to, someone else isn't depending on you. So you can certainly push through it at your own pace and your own level. Um, cause you've got to have that grieving process. I don't want to take the grieving process away from anybody. Don't expedite it. Don't cushion it with, I mean, I say don't cushion it with, don't cushion it with vices, but we've all had our share of a vice or two. I mean, that's, that's human nature, but you know, I will say if, if someone's not as dependent on you, it maybe does make it a little bit easier to sort through all the emotion. You know, my wife is depending on me, you know, and I was depending on her and I was a heavy dependent in that moment. Okay. And I have to, you know, I have to think about that a lot and I have to be willing to recognize that I was a dependent in that moment. Yeah. I was difficult to deal with. And frankly, I was an asshole. I mean, really, just frankly, I was, by the end of that six months, I was just unbearable. And, you know, hopefully I've changed for the better. No. Well, at least you're aware of it. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, self-awareness is half the battle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... All right. Well, start winding this down. So there's always a question I like to ask all of my guests. Uh, so, so take your time. Sometimes like, like it catches people off guard. And so they kind of have to like well, scramble. Was that well, for the record? We, none of these questions have been preempted. No, I'm tell the audience. I didn't know. I didn't get a list. So this is, I, I, this I, is I, I'm now, I'm a little nervous. No, no, no. Cool. It's, it's, cool. it's okay. So what advice would you give your younger self? Oof. Mm. Wow. I told you. What a question. I told you. Um, I would say you're not going to marry the first person you fall in love with. That's a good <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Um, uh, that's one. Um, uh, wow. Cause see, the crazy thing about this question for me is I would, you would think that I would tell myself to be like, fi finish college in four years <laughs> and not nine, but 
I don't don't take student loans at, at 5.8% or higher. Don't do that. There's another good piece of advice. Um, but I enjoy like I'm not where I'm at if I don't figure it out in college. If I don't meet the people that I've met, I don't get to journalism. You know, I don't get to that moment of, hey, this is what I need to be doing. Um, so I can't be mad about that. That's not fair to the path. Um, I would probably tell my younger self to just be a better student. I know that just sounds, golly, it sounds so elementary though. But I, th I, I was, I literally thought college was going to be a joke and it wasn't. And I think that was another rude awakening as well. Like the content was difficult. The friendships were difficult. Maintaining a workload was difficult. And I just wasn't prepared for that shock of, you know, here's what adulthood actually looks like. Here, here is, you have got to tell yourself to go to class. You have got to tell yourself to get a job, open a checking account, take care of your car, you know, get your life in order, make good decisions, you know, don't take drugs or don't take as many drugs as you thought you were going to take. Like, don't, like, those are all things you have to make decisions on from ages like 17 to now. And you just, that's overwhelming when you first go to college and there were more people, there were people uh, I was wrapped around, you know, that were wrapped around me that were just more prepared for those decisions. They just were, or they were better at it at faking it and making it, you know, like they were better at that than I was. I, I just had no clue how to manage all of those different types of things. And I think that's just what I would tell my younger self, be a better student. If that means being a better student of time management, if that means being a better student of, the education in front of me, if that means just being a better student and asking better questions so that I can get cogent and thoughtful answers. Maybe that's maybe that's what it would be. I feel like I want, I want to say something more impactful though. No, I think that's good. I, I think mean, I think what you're kind of getting at is like embracing the journey. Yeah. I, I think I think or, or or just don't take loss so harshly and I mean that in all facets I'm not saying be impervious to loss and nothing hurts me I don't mean that I mean we all go through breakups we all go through death and tragedy and you know we all we all have a you know a little bit of a couple of bags to check in when we get on a, an emotional airplane but I would I, I really I think I would just say like just be a being a better student be a better student Ed be a better student pay attention more listen more you know listen with the intent to absorb instead of listening with the intent to answer and that is a conversation that my wife and I have all the time because I'm always listening for the intent to answer uh -huh. the, that I'm going to answer the question and it's I'm not going to answer the question listen with the intent to learn and to absorb and maybe respond later but listen with the intent to learn would go a lot a lot further than listening with the intent to respond. That was pretty profound. Well, I mean, I, I also get in trouble with that. So that's a that's a recent that's a recent lesson. Wow. So that's the only reason it's not profound. It's <laughs> life experience, man. That's just continue to learn. I, I well I just I, I like to argue, you know, and I, I'm right. And but I'm not. And if if I'm if I can just accept that I'm not right, then you know, there's humility in that, you know, and I've always said, I mean, humility washes away hubris faster than anything else. Oh yeah. Those are the, those are the types of things you have to be able to take into consideration. That's probably another small thing that I would tell myself in my earlier age, I would be like, have some humility, realize that you're going to make mistakes and then own up to that. You know, that there's a lot more maturity in that than anything else that you're ever going to do in life. I might, I might act like a child sometimes. I mean, I guess we're all victim of that in oh, yeah. some way. You know, we all have, you know, our childlike tendencies, but if you know you're doing wrong and someone tells you you're doing wrong, don't get upset about that. Have the humility to realize that you're making a mistake. You got your hand caught in the cookie oh. jar, take it out, dust your hand off, do the right thing the next time. 
This is the first. You've answered this question three times. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I told you I'm just going to give convoluted, <laughs> difficult, multi-tiered. Like, it's like Neapolitan ice cream. I'm giving you the chocolate, the vanilla, and the strawberry, strawberry all at once. Pick your answer. If you don't like, if you didn't like my first answer, get the second one. If you don't like the second answer, pick the third one. If you don't like any of them, hey, you don't like coverage. ice cream. I don't know. I don't know. You're giving me coverage. I appreciate it. Yeah, full, full coverage. This isn't partial yeah. coverage. This isn't, you know, this isn't just for liability. This is for full coverage. Yeah. So, all right. That'll well, be $300 next month. All right. I think we're good. I think this is a good spot to end. Uh, I want to thank Ed for being on. Thank you so much for joining me on this. I really appreciate you. Anytime, man. Uh, taking the time out. I mean, it's getting pretty late. Um, but yeah, thank you for being on, man. Yeah. Anytime, man. Anytime. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Creative Wisdom. I want to thank Ed Marlowe for being on, uh, sitting down, talking to us about his creative journey, his, um, and sharing some, you know, a lot of good, good things with us. Um, we recorded this on a late Wednesday night, so I really appreciate him taking the time out of his busy schedule to talk with me. Um, I thought there was a lot of good, great things that we discussed. Um, I think the one that I'm really focusing on is, you know, staying humble and staying curious and always wanting to know and learn and figure things out. And, uh, it's so important to continue to ask questions. You know, it's so easy to be able to, you know, get along the journey, get a little success, maybe like a little bit of money and, you know, you kind of feel like you got everything pegged, so to speak. And, you know, there's no, that you feel like, you know, everything. And that's furthest from the truth. Um, I'll be the first to admit it. I don't know everything. Um, I think the quicker that, you know, you can, you know, push that ego aside and, you know, admit that is for the better, because then you're going to ask more questions. You're going to get better. You're going to be, you know, able to, you know, take skills that you're already good at, make them better and take skills that you're not so good at. And then, you know, hopefully you're asking the right questions to be able to make those skills better. And it's so important if you want to be a better creative and better artist. And then on the other side of it, you know, there's going to be times when, you know, things are difficult and you're not sure whether you know, the journey is going to continue or end or what have you. And you gotta, you know, you gotta sit down with yourself, figure out where you want your, want your life to go. And I think Ed being able to share that was very important. I appreciate him sharing that because, you know, it's pretty personal and, um, yeah, I can't promise that things are going to work out on the other end, but I believe that if, you know, you have a, you have a vision and you believe in yourself, um, and you're open to opportunities, the right one will come to you and, in Ed's case, a great opportunity came to him and he's able to continue to do the things that he loves. And I hope that that, you know, that happens for you as well. But yeah, that's going to do it for this episode. Um, I'm like I said, I'm very appreciative that Ed was, you know, kind enough to be on, but I'm also appreciative of you for tuning in and being a part of this journey. Um, so yeah, if you are enjoying this podcast, please, you know, share it with some friends. Um, you know, share on social media, follow, follow the podcast on social media. That'd be great. Or if, you know, something caught your ear and you want to discuss it, or you'd like to be on the show, um, yeah, reach out to me on social media. I'd love to hear about, hear from you. And that's going to do it for this episode. So until the next one, this is creative wisdom. I'm Matthew Collins. Stay creative.